0: Love, what it does, Paul described in 1 Corinthians 13, what it does and what it does not do. He didn't just give a technical explanation. He, he told us what it does and what it does not do. Um, but I want to expand today on a key concept that has to arise through that whole passage. you have any ideas what it might be? Because the truth is, can we get real today? Can we let God get real with us and let us be real back? The truth is that, that there are a lot of times that I actually end up doing the very things that Paul says love doesn't do. And then there are times that I don't do the things that he says that it does do. Am I all alone here? Or could I get a witness? Could, could I hear some amens from you? This helps me. Good, good, good. Um, so Paul said a lot of things, you know, about being patient, about being kind, about how that this love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's not rude. Uh, and, and that it, it, it thinks no evil. It literally keeps no record of wrong. It doesn't keep score all the time. It's tough, isn't it? Um, but this is one word that I think if there's any one word that encapsulates what it means to be a Christian, besides love, besides grace, besides mercy, I think you could also use this word, forgiveness. Because we're going to need it. That's the first thing I need, but I'm going to need to receive it from you, and you're going to need to receive it from me. Um, Now they say that gigantic, uh, I've used this illustration before, gigantic circus elephants you know, these gigantic elephants that are so powerful that, um, that you, you see chained up, you know, at a stake, that, that the way that they do that is they start when they're like a little bitty baby elephant and they take a strong chain and they, they just can't, they can't get rid of that chain. They can't break it. They fight. They finally realize there is no breaking this chain. And at that point in their life, that's true. And they quit fighting it. And you know, they don't ever forget anything, Right? That's what they, yeah. Uh, and then as they get older, they can still use this little flimsy chain. That as they grow, they are so strong they could easily break it. But they never try because it never enters their mind again because of that experience they had when they were younger that they could ever break that chain. So they just give in to it and they stay chained. That could be to a chain that could easily be broken. Likewise, there are many people that are chained. And bound by something that could be broken. And, and and the thing is is that we just don't believe it could ever happen. And one of the favorite chains that the enemy likes to use against us is that of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, Because with unforgiveness and with bitterness and all the stuff that comes with it, uh, we stay bound and we can't operate in the love that he's talking about here. So before we move on, and the plan is, Lord willing, we're going to start a journey through 1 Timothy in the next few weeks. So be reading ahead and preparing for that. But the thing about unforgiveness today, I felt like, before we move on, as we're unpacking the passages last week, at least for me, I need to come back to this and dwell on this for a little bit and soak up some word of God. Amen. Soak up some more to God. Yeah. Amen. Um, On this, because this one thing can... Listen, are you listening? It can derail any relationship you have, including your relationship with God. People often walk away from marriages. They walk away from their family. They walk away from friendships. Friendships. They walk away from churches, and they walk away from the Lord himself because of this. It is a major, I would say this is one of the major characteristics of agape love, and it runs all through that passage last week because there's times we're all going to fail, and we're going to need this. So, okay, let's, let's read. Um, I, I have on there Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through verses 31. You just can't proofread your own stuff, can you? How about 31 through 32? Does that sound better? Okay, that make more sense? (coughs) Okay, I'm going to read it, and hopefully you've already seen that and just went ahead and went with 31, okay? So you're there. Paul says this, he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, we kind of know what bitterness is. It's it's, it's that inner attitude. Wrath is where our anger comes out. And anger is that seething resentment that's on the inside. Clamor. The word literally has to do with shouting. Uh, It has to do with really just stirring people up, right? Right? I know, I know. Uh, there, there are people. I mean, with your words, you're stirring people up, clamoring. You know, you're just creating a fuss. You know what? There are some people, uh, and and if I can quote Clarissa here, she she. I think sometime like in the '90s, she gave me permission to do this. She said, you, you know, I can't use. That's another issue I have to deal with: is is getting permission before I embarrass somebody. Um, but anyway, but but this is a great quote because because you would all not really a quote, but different people who have that ability to create clamor and just it, it, to stir things up. You know, there are some people, and hey, some of us have just got the gift that if we don't watch it, we can just stir stuff up all the time and just call, she calls them swizzle sticks. You know, they're a swizzle stick, Why? Because they're just always stirring stuff up, right? Uh-huh. And clamor is one of the ways we do that. It's just that that, that clamor, that that noise, that and, and then he follows that right up with evil speaking of saying anything that, that is not right from God out of our mouth. Said, let it be put away from you. Put all that away with all malice and all malice has to do with all evil or all, all sinfulness, okay? Put that all away or ill will. How about that? That's a good way to describe it. Okay, are you with me here? We're soaking up these words and then he says this. So what? There's what not again. Do you see that? Aren't you glad that the scripture never tells me not what? Okay. Okay. Aren't you glad, take two, that the scripture never tells us what not to do without telling us what to do? Yeah, because I need to know uh, what to do, not just what not to do. Because I want to focus on what to do because I'm focused on what to do. I'm not focused on what not to do. If I'm focused on what not to do, I'm liable to do it because I'm already thinking about it, right? But I'm focused on what to do. I'm going to be busy doing the things that I'm supposed to do. And I'm not even going to think about things I'm not going to do. But if I would I not have time to do things I'm not supposed to do because I'm already too busy doing things I'm supposed to do. Amen? Did you get that? <laughs> okay. So he says, and be. So I'll wait to be. Don't be fake and just act it. Be it on the inside. Be kind to one another. Sound familiar from last week? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Listen to this. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Even as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, so let's let's get into this. First of all, I think we need to define forgiveness. We kind of need to define it because uh, we don't, define it correctly much of the time there are a couple of different words used in the new testament and one common word that's used literally means to send something away all right now just you send it away you get rid of it the word that is actually used here in our text is the root word charis which is the same word that is translated grace have grace give grace It is a root word for grace. What is grace? Grace is undeserved favor or kindness. You say, well, they don't deserve my forgiveness. Then it's perfect, because this is exactly what God did. You can't deserve it. You can't earn it, or else it's actually not forgiveness. We're going to find out. Uh, Jesus usually illustrated to mean to cancel a debt. Completely. See, this is just as God and Christ forgave you. We're going to keep coming back to that, so I'm going to repeat myself some there. Um, that sending away. You, did you know that all of the Old Testament? Man, there is some weird, wacky, hard to understand stuff in that Old Testament, isn't there? I mean, there's times that God used His people to 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 exact judgment, just like God one day sent like fire and 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 like. I'm not sure exactly what brimstone is, but it came down that day, didn't it? Fire and blaze it's like some kind of molten something. Came down on Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed them, right? Because of that way they rejected God and a lot of other stuff that's going on, right? Remember that? Yeah, and we can kind of like, yeah, boy, God sure showed them, didn't he? But you know, a lot of times, especially in the Old Testament, God used people to judge other people, that God exacted his judgment and took it out and, and did things like right up front and, and made examples out of people. And there were times he sent his people in to do that. And that's kind of hard to read and hard to understand. Why would he tell David to go in there and do that, you know, and all that's tough. But it's not like those people didn't know what God was doing and didn't know who God was. They rejected him. And they finally came to a point that they fell under God's judgment. But God also would use some of those heathen nations to come in and don't do the same thing to his people he'd separated out when they got out of line to judge them, right? So you see both. Things happening there, it's really tough nowadays. We're really kind of, you know, we reap what we sow a lot in that way with judgment. But God's judgment is is kind of. There's a lot of people doing a lot of wicked things, and fire's not falling on them. But one of these days, they all going to stand before God. So God is just. Okay, you got to listen if you're going to get confused here, because I'm a little confused sometimes. Because God is just as just now as He was then. God is still today as just and perfect as he was then. Uh, but in that Old Testament, all that stuff, that weird stuff in the law, those crazy rules and things that they could never keep. And that was part of the point to see that we need a savior. But built into that was uh, a covering that offered forgiveness. They had to come a day of atonement. What did they do? That, that in order for God to forgive, because it means to cancel a debt. When you, when you sin, you incur a debt so to speak. And uh, as they came together on the Day of Atonement, there were actually two animals that were sacrificed, in a sense, on the Day of Atonement. Wages of sin are what? Death. And so there was a graphic picture of that. We had to acknowledge that, that I'm a sinner and that I deserve death. And as, and as the blood flowed from the, the slit throat, it was graphic. It was gross, but it was a, it was a picture of the life draining out wages, sin and death. And so God says there, I'm accepting a substitute payment because you deserve to die. And instead of you dying, I'm going to allow this substitute as you put your faith in it at this time. But there was another goat that was used. That was sent away into the desert. Did you know that? And in the Hebrew, it's called uh, the it' I don't think the name of a demon or anything like that. See, people like take the word of God and pervert it. People thought that this goat was offered to the demons and there's all kinds of occultic. If you've ever been involved or dabbled in or know someone's involved in the occult and all that weird stuff, you know what? Yeah, it's just a bunch of nonsense. What that meant was it just sent away to the desert. So here's a picture God's saying that I'm going to have to receive a payment for your sin and I'm also going to send your sin away. Because they confess the sins on that goat and they send it away. Uh, the English word, we don't know where it came from, but it was called scapegoat. Did you see both things were pictured in the law? Did you, I'm just trying to give you an illustration. From the Bible, did you see that both things were pictured on the Day of Atonement? The payment of the canceling. So so here's the thing. For God to cancel your debt, and for you to forgive someone else in the sense that Jesus is talking about, it means that you cancel the debt. What does that mean? Well, a debt has been incurred, so that means you absorb the loss, you cover the loss yourself, instead of requiring them to do it. That's what it means when we forgive. And that's what it means when God forgave you in order to cancel your sin debt, he had to pay the price himself. He had to cover the loss. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross. And all those sacrifices in the Old Testament had to be repeated all the time. And the writer of Hebrews helps us understand so they never did away. Just their faith in that was an object lesson to God's final solution. And God's final solution was always and still is Jesus Christ as he's the lamb that God gave to bear all of our sins. And he being fully God and fully human at the same time was the only one qualified to bring lost humans and a perfect God together on the cross. So we have a picture of forgiveness here just as God through Jesus forgave you. If you got that, because a debt was incurred, the debt had to be covered. When you forgive, you cancel the debt. But when you cancel the debt, that means who pays it? You do. That's what God did. And when you start thinking about am I saved, you got to understand that it cost God a lot to save you. He couldn't just overlook your sin as if it didn't happen without a payment being made because he's perfect and he's holy and there was a debt and it had to be covered. Jesus taught us to pray, Matthew 6, the what we call the model prayer. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive debt. See, he links them together there. That's the way Jesus illustrated. Um, So this is the thing. It's not that we allow the other person to make up for it. That's not forgiveness. That's reconciliation. We'll talk about that again in a little bit, okay? Um, uh, So a lot of times we misdefine it. And we don't realize it literally means to cancel the debt and to get rid of. To send it away. We often think that to forgive you means that I just don't give full vent to my anger on you. I mean, I'm mad at you and you're going to be in trouble with me. I'm not going to do what I could do. And we think that's forgiveness. It's not. And it is not whenever someone agrees to repay you or you say, Well, I'll let that go as long as, and they meet your conditions. It's just like if I back up and back into the side of your car and I jump out and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I will pay for that. You say, okay, well, as long as you pay for it, I'll forgive you. Technically, that's not forgiveness. Okay? And that's the way we are. We'll tell people that, okay, I will overlook it as long as you, and we set conditions as long as they meet our conditions, but that is not, forgiveness. Forgiveness is you absorbing the debt, you absorbing the hurt or whatever it is and canceling it completely, not expecting any repayment in any form. That's tough, isn't it? You think I'm enjoying this? I'm not. It's not in our human fallen nature to do this. This has to be divine, because most of the time when people say, I love you, they're talking about human love, which means I just care about you as long as you're making me feel good about me and not giving me too much hassle, right? And when we talk about forgiveness, we're just talking about, as long as you make stuff up to me, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you. See, what we've got is human forgiveness. We're talking about divine forgiveness. That means canceling the debt completely. When we say, I forgive you, but don't forget you owe me one, how many of us haven't done that? Huh? Don't, I forgive you, but you owe me one. Technically, we did not forgive. And right as I'm working on this, I saw someone, it wasn't any of you. If you reposted this, then you, you, you might want to you know think about it. It was somebody, not from Missouri even, that posted this. And they didn't think it through. But here's what the post was. It says, once you do me dirty, I may forgive you, but I'll never treat you the same. You'll never get the old me again, end quote. Then you didn't forgive. You can't say, I'll forgive you, but I'll never treat you the same. You'll never get the old me. That's not forgiveness. It's not. You see, in our human mind, we think it is, but biblically, God says, wrong. God's not asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done. Right? So that's why we talk a little bit, I've already alluded to it, the motivation for forgiveness. He says that you forgive one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Are you, are you, are you getting that? Are you getting that? Let it in. Come on. As God already has done this. So he's talking to Christians here. Is it possible that dear saints of God can struggle with bitterness and unforgiveness? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to struggle with it. So the struggle is real, and we've got to get real about it. Because our sin, as we said, our sin against God is like a spiritual debt. Okay? That we have incurred against a perfect God. There is no way you can repay it on your own. I don't care. See, people misunderstand. Satan wants to take you down the wrong road. There were people in the Middle Ages that even go around for whip and whip themselves on the back, inflicting pain, thinking that somehow if I just punish myself enough and I suffer enough that it'll earn God's forgiveness. You can't earn it. It doesn't matter if you try to live perfectly and you do every good deed and think every good thought that could ever be done. You can't repay it. There's nothing that you can do to undo the fact that you're a sinner and have incurred an eternal debt against an eternal God. It has to be paid. The only way that you'll be able to cover this yourself is since God's perfect, he can't allow you into his presence, sinner, as to be separated from God for all eternity. That's the only way you pay it yourself. That's the only way you do it, is to be separated forever. And the debt's never paid because it's forever. It's just that simple. So the motivation is we should forgive because we're forgiven. If you're saved, he's talking to Christians here. And in order to cancel your debt, God himself had to cover it, and he did that on the cross, and that's why saying no to the cross is so, so dangerous, costs God a lot. In order for you to be able to give true forgiveness to someone else, you really need to have experienced this forgiveness from God. You can forgive because you've been forgiven. So I need to be forgiven. And whenever I come to God repenting of my sin, that's the first step. That is, I take ownership of my sin and I quit blaming everything and everybody else for the way I am and the things I've done. I take ownership of it. I can't turn from those things to God, which repentance is, until I take ownership that this is mine. And I've got to turn from it to you. And, and trust you. So I repent of my sins. Uh, I admit that I'm a sinner. And then I receive the payment that he made for my sins, recognizing I'm a sinner and I can't pay it on my own. That's part of it. I can't undo this. I have to, by faith, trust in the payment, God, that you made on the cross. I put my faith in Jesus and the power of his death and resurrection to my life to pay for my sins and give me new life. And he describes that in Romans 4, how that he took my sin and placed them on Jesus' perfect life. He died for sin, my sin and your sin. He paid it in full. Jesus paid it all. Amen? He paid it all. So, uh, he took my sin, Jesus paid for it. But then it also says that he takes the righteousness of Christ and imputes it or deposits it in our life. That's quite an exchange, isn't it? That's quite an exchange. That's what God did for us. I mean, I can't ever get over that. Um, So we receive it by faith. And so my ability to forgive other people is connected to God's agape love flowing through me. Because without agape love flowing through, if I haven't received that, I'm going to have a hard time being able to do this because it's not in me without Jesus, but because Jesus is in me, now it is in me. Amen? Because he's forgiven me. And you say, yeah, but you don't know what they've done to me. I say, think about what I've done to Jesus. And he's forgiven me. What are you talking about? Listen to me. I killed Jesus. I mean, I mean, that's why he had to die on the cross. My sins murdered him, so to speak, on the cross. And he did that so he could forgive me. Amazing love. <laughs> how can it be? You just have to receive it by faith. Now, what Paul says in verses 25 through 29 illustrates how agape, love, How it behaves. Uh, There is discipline involved in this. You've got to purposely deny your fleshly nature that's still there and allow the Holy Spirit, your new nature, to overpower. That's why he says in verse 25 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, therefore put away lying. Put it away. Get rid of it. You have to make, listen, God's going to give you power, but he's not going to do it for you. It's like if you were saying, Lord, I'm starving, I'm hungry and I'm out here and, and God caused God caused you know a, a sack of hamburgers oh, before I'm going with this to fall out of the sky and land right in your lap and, and then and then and then you've still got to eat it I'm not going to stick it in your mouth, God says. God says, I'm putting my spirit and my power in you, but there is still a responsibility that you have so I'm giving you ability and the power, but I'm telling you put away lying. This all kind of parallels a lot of things we studied about love last week because about the things we say. He says, let each one speak truth with his neighbor. Why? For we're members of one another. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, we're part of a body. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath. You're going to get angry and stuff like that. Don't let it lead to sin and don't let anger remain. Okay, Before the sun goes down, you need to deal with it. Because if you don't, verse 27, you're going to give place to the devil. You're going to give a foothold to the devil in your life. So this unforgiveness and this anger and this wrath gives the devil a foothold in our lives. He's telling us that. Then he goes on to say, let him who stole, steal no more, but rather, and he's talking to Christians here, let him work. You listen, instead of taking from other people and stealing from other people, why don't you get a job? And why don't you work so that you can take care of yourself and not have to take away from other people? And oh yeah, by the way, not only can you take care of yourself, but he says, and look, that you may have somebody to give to him who has needs. Instead of you just always being the one in need, maybe, maybe you get busy and maybe you take care of business and then you could actually do something you ain't never thought about doing and that's help somebody else. Okay, then he goes on. He's not done. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. A lot of those things that we're not to do did involve words coming out of our mouth, okay? But he says, but only what's good for necessary edification. We're to build one another up, not tear each other down. He says, why? That you may impart grace. And there is the root word again that's used in the next, or the verses following about forgiveness. And he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I've got this seal on me that says, I am his. I belong to him. It's the Spirit of God. He says, it's like a seal on you for the day that you receive all that I've got for you. Don't grieve him. What does that mean? When we do the things he says, do not when you are doing these things. The Holy Spirit is grieved. And, 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 and disgusted and hurt inside of you. Whenever we do the things he says don't do, it grieves God, it grieves the Holy Spirit, it can lead to quenching the Holy Spirit in our life. And so he says that not to do that, but he says let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here's what happens when we don't follow through with that. We get hurt and here's what we do. We begin to take hostages. We hold hostages. It's one way we punish each other. Instead of canceling the debt, we hold hostages. We, how do we do that? Uh, unforgiveness leads to our holding love. We hold our love, attention, honor, and affection hostage until the, quote, ransom is paid. And I put quotes there because we don't even really know what the price that we're wanting is. We say, you know what? They don't deserve it. Or they? Or you say you just don't know what they did. And what we do is we take our love, our affection, our our attention, uh, and and um we and our honor, and we hold it hostage. And we don't allow ourselves to show them any affection or any honor or any love. We hold all of that hostage from them until 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 I've until you until you feel, you know how I feel, until I hurt you like you hurt me. And you're going to know. What if God did this to us? Whew. We'd be in trouble. And then the problem is, is a lot of times when this happens, we've offended someone, we've sinned against them, and they're holding all these things hostage, but we don't know what the ransom is and they don't either. How much is enough? What can I do? How? And they don't even know. Well, until, I, until you're hurting as bad as you hurt me, a lot of times we say. That's revenge. It's not forgiveness. Listen, this is what destroys relationships. There are so many ways to do this. I mean, it can get ridiculous. I've seen people that, you know, they get mad at someone and they're holding hostages against them. And... And they'll not even, they'll they'll just decide not to like something because you like it. Right? I started talking about, you know, um, you know, hey, chiefs are on. Let's watch them. I hate the chiefs. Now, this hadn't happened in my home at all. I'm just giving an illustration, okay? Uh, Something like that. So I will be very careful here. But I've seen people do that, say those kind of things. Or, you know, I like, all of a sudden I hate that restaurant because that's where you like to go. Or I don't like that person because you do like them. I've seen that happen in church that there's people who decide they don't like someone because someone that they are unforgiving to does like them. What is that? What is that? The ransom. I often use this illustration here, um, and I've, I've done this before and it didn't go over and it probably won't go over again, but there used to be a TV show on called Get Smart. Does anybody remember that Maxwell Smart? And Maxwell was like it was like a spoof off of all the secret agent stuff, James Bond, things like that. And it was it was so goofy. It was by Mel Brooks. So what does that tell you? But anyway, Maxwell Smart and the original stuff, he was head of control. That was like the government agency. And then there was this other agency causing all this trouble. They were called Chaos, right? Well, there was one time that that chaos kept capturing the control's agents, and then control was capturing some of Chaos's agents, and controls lead guy was a guy named Siegfried. Remember Siegfried? Yeah. And and then that other guy called The Crawl. Not The Crawl, The Claw. Anyway, anyway. If you ever saw it, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, there came a point that all that was left was Siegfried and Max because they had captured all of each other's agents and they didn't have anything to do. I mean, we're basically put each other out of business. You've got all my guys and I've got all yours. and They didn't know what to do so they just pulled the buses up beside each other and they were checking them off the list and just giving everybody back so they could start over and go back to their business, right? I've seen couples like that that we've both begun to hold hostage from each other. Our honor, our love, our affection, our attention until well, finally, there's just no relationship there, and both do it. Both do it. Not just one, but we will. You've hurt me. I'm going to hurt you. You withhold yourself from me. I withhold myself from you. You hold attention from me. I hold my attention from you. And all of a sudden, there's nothing. You know what we need to do? You know what we need to do? We need to cancel the debt. We need to line the buses up and unload. That illustration works for me. Maybe not you. Okay, let's wrap this up with some observations because there's some loose ends we need to tie up, right? Okay, let's do it. Unforgiveness can allow bitterness to flow into your life. That's why he says let all bitterness. Bitterness. That's that, that bitter feeling deep down inside that causes you to shut down. And I'm telling you, if you let it in, it's like... Bitterness is to your soul what cancer is to a physical body. It spreads. It will not just affect your relationship with the person who has hurt you. And I'm talking about legitimate hurt. You didn't deserve it, but they hurt you. They incurred a debt against you. But I'm telling you that bitterness won't just affect them. It'll begin to spread into other areas of your life and you get bitter toward even other people and you can become to where the point point is is that bitterness begins to define your life. You are just bitter. You might even be angry at me right now for saying this and getting bitter. But even if something bad happened to you and even if it wasn't your fault, I want you to know that God is saying that he wants to take away that sting. He wants to take it away. Having it Having that sting of bitterness does not make it, I don't care how bad they hurt you, it does not make it okay to be mean and nasty to everybody around you. For some, if they were to truly forgive, it would take away most of who they've become because all of their life has become defined because of it. And they say, but you don't know what they did. And my answer to that is true. But I don't have to know your situation because I know what's in the book. I mean, and likely you're getting offended at me if that's you because I'm pressing this issue. Because you just don't know. No, I don't know, but I know what's in the book. And I know whatever it is, God's power is greater to set you free. You don't have to be controlled by it. You don't have to be embittered by it. So that's an observation. And you're saying, yeah, okay, wait a minute. Another observation that we can draw from this. Whoops, oh man, I went too fast. Come on back here, come on back. I want you to see this as well as hear it. Forgiving and forgetting are two different things. How can I get past this? I I, I can forgive and cancel the debt, but I don't know that I can get over it. Well, listen to me, listen to me. Forgiving, forgiveness and getting over it are two different things. Forgetting it is a different thing. Forgetting it happened is not what I'm talking about when we say forgive and forget. Because you don't forget. The human mind isn't really made to forget. I mean, if you're forgetting, um, you've got something wrong up here that's going on, right? Right? And you might be better off than most of us because you, you actually don't remember. I had, I had a, an older couple in our church a while back talk about their marriage and how they come through some tough times and different things like that. They had both had been previously in bad relationships and divorced and had come together and have, and have lived a long life together. And they said this. They said, you know, as we've gotten old, you know, it's amazing how much better we get along. I said, really? Because you've learned how to utilize God's grace and forgiveness in your life. And he's like, I thought we got a breakthrough moment here. He goes, oh yeah, probably yeah. But he said, the truth of the matter is, is we're both getting sold. One of us will get all mad at each other 10 minutes later, we can't either one remember what it was. We done forgot about it. So that might be a blessing. But, But the mind isn't really made to forget. And you know what? Forgetting, if you didn't totally actually even really remember it, forgetting would take some of the glory out of the forgiving. Because the fact that the mind still does know it happened. When it comes up, God's glory is intensified because every time it comes to mind, the Holy Spirit helps you deal with it. So what does it mean to forget? Okay, let me illustrate. I want to find in the Bible, where can I find our English word forget and how is it used? Here's what it means to forget. Paul gives an illustration. Are you ready to go there? Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Paul had talked about all the things that he was, that he was a legalistic Pharisee who thought his works could impress God, basically. And he found out that was wrong. He was proud and selfish. But here's what he said. Here's what one thing I do. Here's what I do. Forgetting what lies behind. And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, he didn't know that those things hadn't happened because he just listed them, if you go back and read that chapter. It's not that he forgot about them, but what does he mean forgetting? How did, you didn't forget, you just, you just listed them right before that. That word forgetting means literally to disregard or to lose value. In other words, he says, I still know that I did all that and I thought that way, I still know those things happened and happened to me, but I'm forgetting them. That is, I'm disregarding them. That is, they no longer carry any weight or power. They don't control me anymore. When that thought comes to my mind, it doesn't put the knot in my stomach like it used to. When that thought comes to mind, I don't get angry and bitter like I used to. Yeah, I know it happened, but it's disregarded. It has lost its power. It has lost its value. That's what it means to forgive. That's what it means to forget. So forgiveness and forgetting are a couple of different things. There are some things that will in some way maybe affect you. The rest of your life may cause you to be more cautious about certain things, different things like that. So those are two separate issues. It doesn't mean that everything's okay. Are you with me? It doesn't mean everything was okay. It just means that God gives you the ability to cancel the debt. Because the next observation, I would like to say reconciliation and trust are separate issues. Just because you forgive someone and cancel the debt doesn't mean that you're reconciled to them. Because, see, reconciliation is a two-way street. Reconciliation would. So if, if I've incurred a debt and I cancel the debt, and I do that saying you do not have to pay me back. But the point is, if we're going to be, that's forgiveness. I've forgiven and I'm not controlled by it. You know, it's been said that unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. But see, what I've done now, even though you may have done me wrong or hurt me or violated me, I am free. I've canceled the debt but we still don't have reconciliation, I'm, not, I'm going to stay away from you. Now, reconciliation's a different issue. That would be you recognizing the debt that you had, and when you try to make it right, and you want to fix this, that's a two-way street. I canceled the debt, but then when you... That is reconciliation. Now, there may be times that they can't repay you, just like you can't repay God. You've canceled the debt, so it don't matter, but you can be reconciled. There may be somebody that's hurt you really bad, stolen from you, cheated you, and you might forgive them and cancel the debt to the point that you're not saying you owe me or this or that, and you let it go, but you're not going to let them hold your wallet while you jump in the river, right? You're not going to trust them. You're not going to go to business with them. You're not going to, right? Trust and forgiveness are separate issues. Trust Has to be earned and built. Forgiveness is a decision that you made out of the grace of God to cancel a debt. Okay? So you can forgive someone even though you may not trust them. You can forgive someone even though you may never be able to be reconciled in a relationship with them. Because that would take something happening in their life as well. It's a two-way street. Forgiveness also, since it doesn't have to do with that, means that you can forgive someone who's already passed away. There are some of us that are still embittered by things that people did to us that are no longer even alive to make it right. There's no chance of reconciliation, but God can give you the ability to forgive so that what happened has no power over you and you're not even embittered toward that person that you've let it go into God's hands. Okay, now follow me. That's a key part. Let it go into God's hands. Um. We'll, we'll come back to that. This, this text is, you realize that this text is within family, within the family of God. Did you realize that? It is. Um, why we should forgive? Because just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Did you hear that? God forgave you, but how? Through Christ. In Christ. Forgave you. Don't forget that it involved Jesus dying to cover it. God himself absorbed the lost, paid the debt. We should forgive, we've been forgiven. And also, what does he say back up in verse 25? Put away lying and speak truth to each other. Why? For we are members of one another. We're part of a family. We're, we're members of one another and all that he's trying to tell us not to do and to do is because God is trying he says even what comes out of your mouth let it be for edification that means to build up so the Holy Spirit gets grieved because what the Holy Spirit is trying to do is to build all of us up and help all of us to overcome our hurts our our, our problems and to help us grow and he wants to do that and when you and I aren't doing that and we're doing the things that he said not to do we're tearing down and what we're doing is I'm tearing down something that the Holy Spirit is trying to build up I'm working against the Spirit of God that's why he's grieved because we are members of one another if they're saved and you're saved I don't care how bad you think you might hate them we're still part of a body you can't get rid of each other we've got to deal with each other got to help each other be kind he says Tender-hearted. See, forgiveness happens in that context that we belong to each other. We're going to need this because we're going to fail each other. There's going to be misunderstandings that are going to happen. There's going to be times, I'm going to tell you, there's times that I'm not going to mean to offend you, but I am. But there's going to be some times that I may do it with my eyes wide open and just be acting in the flesh and offend you, sin against you. That's going to happen the other way too. So if we're going to have a great relationship, we're going to need this. In your marriage, this isn't just marriage, but even how about with your kids? Parents, you're going to need this because your kids are going to hurt you. They're going to fail you. They're going to say things that you're going to have to let go of, right? We're going to need this. We're members of one another. It's necessary. Jesus said this. He said in Mark eleven twenty five, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. Did you hear that? When you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. There are trespasses, that's a debt type thing. He doesn't say, um, if it's all totally, you know, if they're willing to deal with it, I mean, are you going to say to Jesus here, but you don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. No, he just says, whenever you get ready to worship, you got something against somebody, forgive. If you want to have good fellowship with me. Paul says the same thing, and this is in Colossians. Look at the pair. I I, want to take just a moment to do this because look at the parallel here. Of what he's saying in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, you're chosen of God, holy and beloved. That's who you are, but we don't always act that way, do we? But he says, put on. So remember when he said, put off all that bad stuff? Put on this, put on, tender mercies. Now, I want you to think about last week in 1 Corinthians 13, and think about all the ways he described what love does and things like that. I want you to also think about what he says to the Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit, the first one being love and all the ones that flow out of that, and see if there's not a parallel here. He says, tender mercies. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Does those ring a bell? That's what love does. Bearing with one another. That basically means just putting up with each other. There's times we just got to put up with each other. You're worth it! Okay, I just came out. Forgiving one another. So I've got to put up with others and I've got to forgive them. And he says, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive. Put up with each other. You got a complaint? Forgive. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Then he says, see, remember, remember, through the spirit, remember 1 Corinthians 13? But above all these things, put on what? Love. Love. That's where it comes from. And the which is the bond of perfection of the body of Christ, holds us together, the bond. And then another thing's gonna happen is peace. That's enough through the Spirit of God will rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body. There it is again, one body. We're members of each other. Do you see that? And Be thankful. So when this happens, my life's going to be characterized by love. And guess what? I don't care what they did or what they said. They may have to answer to God for that. It may not make reconciliation possible until they repent. But I can forgive so that I have peace. And I am thankful. Some of us are going to have a hard time ever having peace and being thankful because we just can't trust God to help us forgive and overcome. And that's, 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 so that's the same thing. You see how the word of God just fits together. It speaks in complete harmony. Okay, now let's continue our process of wrapping it up, okay? Okay, big one, another observation. Greater intimacy requires greater forgiveness. If you're gonna be closer to people, you're gonna have to have more forgiveness, not less. It's false that true love requires less forgiveness. It requires more. Do you really think that that person that you're in a relationship with has quit being a sinner? Do you think that they don't have a fallen nature even though they're saved? Do you think that they're going to live absolutely perfect from here on? I'm telling you, the more we're together, the more interactions we have, and the more opportunities we have to sin against one another. It's not just that the, it's, it's not, it's not that they sin more, it's not that the rate of sin has changed, that they've gotten worse, it may just be the rate of your exposure to them has changed. See what I'm saying? Is what I'm saying. If you're only around me a few minutes every week, or if we work together, we're only together so many hours a, a few days a week. It might be easier to get along with me than if you live with me every day. Because if you're around me all the time, your exposure to me goes up. And also your exposure to my weaknesses and my selfishness goes up. And so you're going to get offended more often. You're going to get ticked off at me more often. You're going to have to forgive me more often. So I'm telling you, deeper, greater relationships. Hey, I would like to think that as we love each other, we keep trying to sin less, right? And we should. But the fact is, because we're around each other so much, it's not that that person's sinning more. It's just you happen to be there every time it happens. (sighs) Greater love and greater intimacy requires greater forgiveness, not less. Well, if you love me... Anyway... Right? It's just like, I'm not convinced there are more floods today than there's ever been. It's just that anytime there's a flood now in any remote jungle corner anywhere in the world, you get to hear about it, and you don't get to hear about it, you get to see a live video clip of it. A few years ago, Daryl, when you were a kid, there could be great floods in a lot of places in the earth. And you would have never, ever known about it. There's people who lived in all these previous generations. There'd be other places in the world have floods. And they lived their whole lives and died and never even knew about it. You see what I'm saying? Your exposure to it has increased. Same way is true with sin in our lives and having to forgive each other. So it's folly to believe that if your spouse really loved you, that he or she would stop sinning entirely. That's probably not going to happen. It is your love for one another and your close proximity to one another that makes you there more frequently when the sin happens. And it's not that your spouse loves other people better than you and treats them better. You're just there more and exposed more to their sinful nature than those other people are. So when we're together a lot, it'd be good to say, yeah, we're going to try to sin less against you. We're going to try to grow, yes. Yes. But also part of the truth is we have an obligation to forgive more. To be close to you means that I obligate myself to forgive you more. You see the difference? Now it doesn't say be kind, tender-hearted, sinning less against one another. What does it say? Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Some of you say, well, I always choose the broken ones. You know, I've been through all these relationships and all these marriages, and it just seems like I pick the bad ones. I pick the bad ones, you know. It's just that you think they're great, and then you spend more time around them, and you realize they're just like you, and you just can't deal with it. You know, it's the same way. Well, all these churches I've gone to, every one of them, just every single church, and I've had people say to me, every single church in this community, including yours, is just filled with all kinds of problems, and blah, 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 blah. And I want to say, well, you've been through these relationships, you've been to all these churches, and there's so many problems and everything. I wonder what the common denominator might be here. It might be you. Because you're going to need this anytime. All right, all right, I've talked a long time, so I knew it was going to be that way, and I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Forgive me, all right? Get over it. Why am I yelling? (laughs) Let's apply this. This is big stuff, isn't it? I'm sorry, I can't give you a little sermonette for Christian head on this. This is this is hard, man. This is something I'm gonna have to meditate on the rest of the week and throughout my life. Application? Let's apply it. Let's do it. Just do it. Forgive like Jesus. Understand you are forgiving. Changes my perspective. See, this does. It helps me be more compassionate. Understanding that what it costs God to forgive me helps me understand that you're not, I'm a sinner too and that I can forgive you. It helps me be more compassionate. Changes my perspective. And, and, and also under, understand how costly unforgiveness is. It costs you emotionally to have to try to keep track of everything that they did and try to make them pay, make them pay, make them pay. Think about something right quick. I want to be sure I say this right. I mean, sometimes I don't see my own blind spots, do I? You see their sin, but I don't see my own sometimes. I don't think mine's as bad as yours. You know, the problem in our churches and our families isn't that there's so many sinners out there. The problem is that there's so little forgiveness out there. The cure for that is the cross. And here's what I know. I can forgive you because I know this. Jesus did not have to shed less blood for me than he did you. I'm forgiven as well. Because I know I'm forgiven. It's costly when we don't. It costs you emotionally to try to keep track of all that. It costs your relationship and your fellowship with other people. Unforgiveness says, I will inflict so much anger on you that you'll think twice before sinning against me again. And I act like that I don't actually believe that Christ's blood sanctifies us. I think my anger somehow does. I'm not so interested in you becoming like Christ. I'm interested in you being afraid of crossing me again because you'll face my punishment. That's what happens when we operate in bitterness and unforgiveness. See, the truth is, as I understand Christ had to die for me just like he did you. And that I can forgive and I can trust Jesus to work in your heart without me having to be the one to straighten you out. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't confront or reprove one another. Because we love each other, sometimes we, we will confront obvious sin in each other's life, but we do it in a loving, tender-hearted, kind way. Sometimes love has to be tough. I understand that. Unforgiveness will cost you because it will kill your compassion. So, forgive. Forgive. You have been forgiven. And I want to tell you something else. You are enabled by God's grace and God's power that that the one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who died on the cross, can forgive you, but somehow I require more? The fact that He's forgiven me gives me the strength and the power to trust him and his power and I can cancel the debt and set you free. And you know what? God can set you free as well. He set you free. Let's pray.